Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning. Good to see everybody. My name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at this church. And Jay, what were you, like eight years old when we started this church? I mean, like, is that right? Like uh, maybe nine. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I hope you guys uh, will come out. We're going to cram both services in here because you guys don't get to see the other group very often because you come to the first service. And so the second service doesn't get to see you guys except in the passing. And so uh, we're going to just put every chair we can conceivably, you know, put in here and uh, and just come out. And then we're going to have some great barbecue and food afterwards. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. So please come, bring a friend. And, uh, you know, the first church I went to after I became a Christian was a Lutheran church that had this folk service like at 730. And that's early for a college student. And... Uh, it was so packed that I remember Sundays, Karen and I would have to sit like in the choir loft on the floor, or we'd sit right under where Pastor Murley would preach. He'd stand. We'd stand, sit right on the front, and it, it was awesome. I mean, it was just such a, there was such a vibe and such an energy in the room as, uh, you know, like three, 400 college kids gathered together to worship God, and, and, uh, and so I hope you will come. 10 o'clock, remember, and uh, bring somebody. Hey, we are in our series uh, smack dab in the middle of it on difficult conversations or hard conversations. Has everyone received a booklet? Have you, everybody, if you don't have one of these, please pick one up or get one from out front because uh, we're using this as our launch point in each one of our discussion points here through this series. And, uh, you know, we're talking about having those conversations. That's why one of the reasons I'm sitting down, which is really hard for me because I like to move. But, um, but we're having a conversation. And so when you have a difficult conversation, a hard one, a challenging one, one that is uh, probably going to have some outcome to it. Like by the time you're done with the conversation, things are going to be better or possibly worse. Or you're digging new ground with someone over some understanding. And so uh, that's what we're trying to take a look at. And have any of you... have? As we've worked through this, have you realized you need some help in this? I mean, it's the wonderful thing when, as you work through this, you come to the, to the, you know, the conclusion that I'm not good at this. <laughs> you know, I'm really not good at having hard, difficult, challenging conversations with people. As a matter of fact, I'd rather not, and I will do what I can to try not to have them. Uh, or I just don't want them to last very long, so I will do everything I can to push that person away. If I can't escape, I'll push that person away from me as best I can. And those of us who follow Jesus, those of us who uh, really want to know more about how to live this life that he has created for us and offers us, uh, we we have to learn new ways of of doing life. And one of the ways is how we handle these hard conversations and difficult conversations with one another in the church, but also as to help us outside in our everyday lives, uh, our businesses, our homes, our families in every way. And uh, Jesus had some pretty difficult conversations with people. And, uh, but it doesn't take me very long in some of my conversations to realize I'm not Jesus. Has anybody ever got there? Like, 
Don't you hate it when somebody says, I just want to be like Jesus? Yeah, well, keep trying. You know, it's like, seriously, I just want to try to be the human being that God wants me to be. And, I mean, Jesus was fully human, fully man, fully God as well. And, and he is definitely what we look to to lead us and to guide us. But here's the thing, folks. God does understand our frailties. He does understand our weaknesses. Many times we think that God's angry with us and mad with us when we th- things just don't go right or we re- respond a wrong way or an unhelpful way. And, uh, and yeah, we don't want to respond like that. But I, I want to, the only way we can learn and the only way that we can really get better at having difficult conversations is if we realize we're in a safe place. And that doesn't just mean, as we talked last week, of being in a safe place with the person we're having a conversation with, but also in a safe place with God. If I feel like I'm in a relationship with God where he can teach me and and he can help me and that he understands my frailties and he understands my shortcomings and at the same time he never gives up on me. And he's like, come on, Tim, you know, I'm with you in this. I know that wasn't the way you wanted it to go. Neither was it the way I wanted it to go, but I'm here with you. I'm going to help you. And uh, that is the friend that Jesus is to us. And, you know, he doesn't leave us alone in our struggles to try to do this well. And he told his disciples, and there were like three chapters in John 14, 15, 16, as you read through that beautiful gospel where Jesus prepares his disciples for his leaving. And he begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. And he even says so much as to say that it's important that I go. It's important that I go back to the Father because the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to teach you all things and he's going to help you. It's going to help you in, the, in these situations. And, and so this morning, that's, uh, that's what we're going to take a look at. And uh, we're going to be over in Acts 15. In your handout, if you will flip it over on the back side, you'll see a fill-in and a, a general kind of a... Uh, synopsis of what's in the booklet, but you have the booklet too, which you can flip over to the third uh, part in the series. Uh, But I've got a couple of fill-ins at the bottom. And we're going to take a look at the church leadership that came back together after a very tension-filled situation. Of course, it wasn't the end of the tension, but we get a view into just how things can work when a group of people indeed are committed to understanding one another and committed to understanding what God wants. Because if we are like that, if we posture ourselves like that, then God has a great opportunity to build into us his will. And we have an opportunity to grow. And so let me set up the background for you here. And that is that this church in Antioch is grown to be a huge church. It's a, it's a pretty good-sized church at this time. And uh, so there's a, there's a call sent out to all the house churches throughout this city that uh, there was going to be a meeting, a general meeting for all of them to get together. And, and so they probably meet on a Sunday. That's their gathering times in the New Testament to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus since it was on a Sunday instead of Saturday as the, the Jewish folks did. Now they've shifted it to Sunday so that every morning they get up on Sunday and get ready to gather. They remember that Christ rose from the dead on Sunday. That's why they. That's why we meet on Sunday. Did you know that? That's the reason. Not just because you're maybe off work on Sunday. But Sunday is Sunday because the early church celebrated Christ's resurrection. And so they call them together. There's this letter uh, that's going to be read. 
And uh, the letter is written in very sophisticated Greek, and, and that's challenging enough. But the thing is, most people didn't even read at all during this period of time. And so you had to have someone read it to the church. And, and since it was written by Luke and is written with uh, very well-written uh, Greek, uh, someone probably like Silas or Judas, not that Judas, another Judas, uh, probably read this, gathered the church together, and they read it. Now, there's been, as I said, tension in this church because there's been tension over the, the way that uh, the leaders and the churches wanted to see the non-Jewish or the Gentile believers wanted to see them come into the church. What was expected of the Gentile believer versus what was expected of the Jewish believing, the Christian Jews. Well, you had, you know, you had James and you had Peter who were kind of slid over on the side of the Jewish Christians and said, hey, you need to obey pretty much everything that the Jewish people believe too as well as to be, to be a Christian. And so you had that, but then you had Paul who was all about reaching the Gentile, the non-Jewish group who said that's a bridge too far. You can't expect a Gentile who was not raised and uh, doesn't have the appreciation for our heritage uh, like we do to, to do this. And Jesus did not set the bar there. He didn't say you had to be circumcised. He didn't say you had to follow these laws and that and this and the other to be a Christ follower. And so they finally had a meeting of the minds. They came together and they decided um, what would be expected of these new churches. And that's where we joined the church this morning, so in Acts 15, verses 30 through 31, we read this. The messengers went at once to Antioch, where they called a general meeting of the believers and delivered the letter. And there was, listen to this, great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. Your third affirmation in this series is, the Spirit can create unity where it once seemed impossible. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together this morning and and for such a, Lord, what a challenging subject, but one that we need. We need to talk about and we need to learn to to be artists in, Lord, and to be better at this. And, And so help us this morning and Holy Spirit, as we talk about your part in our conversations, we ask that you would come and inhabit this place that You would help me in my weakness. Lord, give me the gift of teaching over the next few minutes. Uh, Help me and help me choose the right words. Breathe life on your word this morning and capture our hearts with hope. Hope for healing, Lord, and hope for, Lord, better conversations and more understanding among ourselves, our families, the people we work with, the people we serve with. Lord, help us. Teach us. We're here to learn. And so come, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you follow through in your booklet, you'll see the first one says you may be right. You may be right in this conversation, but still the person leaves. And you may not get it. You're like, wait a minute, I was right. Can't they see I'm right? But still they either separate the friendship, they leave the church, or they quit the job, or they don't talk to you anymore. And it's hard for you to get it because you say anybody would understand I'm right. Right? I mean, but still they leave. Now, what do we do in times like that? What do we do when, when we've done everything we know to do and we know we're right, we can't back up on it, but yet the person still 
leaves. Well, we began to pray for grace and healing, and that's something the Holy Spirit will help us with. Pray for grace and healing. You know, you can't really, for very long, pray for someone with great affection and continue to dislike them. Does anybody notice that? I mean, here's the test. Uh, I'm not going to ask for hands of how many of you have people you don't like. Um, but, you know, or people that let's just say that uh, you at one time you were closer than you are now. And things have kind of devolved and, and fractured. And, but, and you kind of, there's a little something there. I mean, you can't deny it. There's a little hurt, maybe bitterness there. Here's a challenge. Start praying for them. And praying for them with, for blessings. Praying for them. Not, God, get them. Lord, send the hounds of heaven. Well, you know, may fleas infest their armpits. May they come to a place in their life where they just, you know, I'm not talking about that. I, I, I'm talking about when you think of who they are, of their family, of their life. And you see them and you begin to pray, Lord, bless this person. You know, bless them. Lord, show them how much you care for them and you love for them. Take care of their family. Take care of their work, their business. Lord, bless them with health. Uh, Put joy in their heart and begin to pray. And you know what? Your heart's changed during that. It takes the Holy Spirit to do this. You know, when you're doing it by gritting your teeth, it doesn't help. Oh, God, bless them, Jesus. You know, Hey, you wonder how I know these things. It's because I've been there. But if you allow the Holy Spirit, who is really good at working in us, really good at, you know, creating a tender heart inside of ourselves, if we ask the Lord to give us a tender heart, and, and God help us pray for that person. And then you just begin to pray for them like you pray for yourself. You pray for good things, and you pray for blessings. Things change in your heart, but... Here's something else that happens. There are other things going on around you that as you pray and you let the Holy Spirit lead you in prayer, he begins to orchestrate things. Now, some of you, I can tell you this, and some of you know this, that as soon as you start praying like that for someone, you are going to run into them. I have seen it over and over and over again. And that is not by chance. God begins to orchestrate, the Holy Spirit begins to orchestrate where you happen to be at some restaurant somewhere where you think that person would never show up, and you're about to have a great meal, and then they walk. Now, you know, I'm slow, McFly, but, you know, it's like, it's like, God, you know, God goes, Do you, you've been praying for them, you've been praying for them, now you've been praying for them, now they're right here in front of you. What do you do? What do you do? And, and that's my second thing is listen for the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit gives you the affection and the humility to be able to pray for them after they've separated. You were right, but they still separated themselves from you. Now you start praying for them, blessing them, and also you prepare your own heart because you're going to run into them. You're going to. It took me, one particular time I'm thinking of, it took me about the second time I ran into this person that I realized what God was doing. And I told Karen this. I said, you know, I believe God's up to something. And after that, again and again and again. 
And no, I didn't run over and, oh, man, you know, none of that. It was just, hey, how are you? Speaking, just speaking to them and saying, it's really good to see you. How are you? And, and drop the seed of maybe something in the future there. The, the worst that's going to happen is some of that chill in the air is going to begin to calm down. And your heart is going to soften. So you may be right and still someone leaves. Well, pray for grace and pray for healing in the relationship. Second, you may be wrong. I know it's hard to believe. Alternate universe, right? We talked about this last week. You may be wrong. And maybe after things have devolved or things have gotten to a point suddenly, and it is God's grace that allows us to see this. It's a beautiful thing. We realize I didn't see that exactly right. Maybe I, I drew a conclusion based on not enough information or faulty information, and now I'm, I'm seeing things a little different. So you may be wrong, yet, you know, there's a schism there, yet unity is still possible. And there is nothing wrong with praying that for yourself to have humility and to have understanding in situations like this, to ask the Lord for it. God grant me understanding in this situation because if we look like we're in an impasse and suddenly he grants you that that understanding and you see that you are were wrong. You were wrong. And we always talk about the power of God to be strong and to come and do mighty things and, and that's so very true and we'll continue to talk about that but did you know the power of humility is just as Incredibly important in our lives is any act of other power that we want to see in healing and, and other things. The act of humility of which Jesus was the greatest picture of, right? Going to the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Washing his disciples' feet, I mean, over and over again. Jesus exemplified this attitude, this posture of humility. There is just as much power in the humility that we can exercise at times as there is in laying hands on someone and them being healed. Dare I say that the miracle of us humbling ourselves could be the grandest miracle of all. (laughs) I mean, could that possibly be like the moment in your life when you realize I am a human being? Fraught with frailties and fraught with uh, misunderstanding and interpreting things wrong and God how I need you and how I need your understanding and that moment is a grand wonderful miraculous moment in our lives and so we can pray for that uh, when we're wrong we can I mean the minute you realize you're wrong I know you shrink I, inside you go like this like a piece of paper being crinkled up you just you're, you know why you're pride right who would have ever thought you could have been wrong Everybody but you. That's right. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> everybody but you knew it. Everybody but you know. They know it. But the, you know, your insides just crumple. Well, that's a time to say, Lord, you know, okay, I embrace you, God. You know, your power of humility. The power to be able to, to be seemingly less in ourselves, which makes him much grander and more awe-inspiring to see him in us. There's this power and a holy humility. So can, can, can we practice this? Can we just practice saying, I was wrong? Can you do it? Let's, I, 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 let's, okay. let's, 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 let's try it. Ready? Here we go. 
I was wrong. But what usually follows? But. But. If. Right? Because you can't do it. You know, your insides, this, this pride, this sense of, you know, value that you think is going to be diminished when you admit you were wrong, which only elevates you in the other person's eye. When you do admit you're wrong, it, it, it wants to hinder you from doing that. You know, so it's when we say I was wrong, do not postscript it. Right? Don't postscript it. I was wrong, but if you hadn't have said that, you know, I wouldn't have responded that way either. But because you did, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry you took it the wrong way. <laughs> what kind of apology is that? Seriously? I'm sorry you feel that way. That's helping. <laughs> Boy, that relationship is going somewhere. <laughs> right down. Just if you realize you're wrong, say it. Just say it. I was wrong. I'm sorry. And I know things are complicated. I know. And I know so many things feed into a situation like that. But God will give you another opportunity to unpack the dynamics later on. But the first step out when we realize we are wrong is to say we're wrong. First step step toward a possible reconciliation. And thirdly, uh, it may not be that important. The whole thing you've got this disagreement over, it may not be that big a deal. Have you ever found yourself in arguments and getting heated with someone over an issue that absolutely is benign? It's like, I mean, I've had it, I've had, I saw a guy on the job one time years ago get mad with me because we were, we were, in a debate over who was a better fighter, Muhammad Ali or Bruce Lee. And I mean, I knew he was ticking him off because he was a Muhammad Ali fan and I was a Bruce Lee fan. And so I'm just going, he wants to fight me after a while. You know, I'll show you, you know. And, and I'm like, geez, you know, I was just having a fun conversation here. It's, it's, sometimes it's just not worth the energy and it's certainly not worth the relationship. Do you know where that line is? Do you know what's essential and non-essential in your relationships? Because there are a few things, there are a few golden things that are essential that we can't back up on. That's true in church. And, and, and uh, when we study and all, we, we kind of dissect these things into uh, dogma, doctrine, and opinion. Dogma is something that, I, that we will not, like the deity of Christ, the full humanity of Christ, 100% man, 100% God, uh, his resurrection. There are things that we do not, I will not back up on. These are essentials. These are, that's dogma. You can be dogmatic about it because they are essential to what we believe. But there's doctrines. There's doctrines like, should I be sprinkled? Should I, should I be immersed? That's a doctrine. I mean, you can do one or the other. That's one of the reasons I love the vineyard is we give plenty of room for things. Well, I don't believe in speaking in tongues. Well, I do, but you're still welcome to come here. Nobody's going to, you know, make you do that. Nobody's going to expect you to have to necessarily do that. You know, these are like, they're not essentials. You get this? They're doctrines. And then there's opinions. When's Jesus coming back? Somebody said yesterday, I think, or something. But, uh, you know, it's like, (laughs) you know, dang, we missed it, folks. You know, here we are. 
but, you know, then there's opinions. We can have all kind of opinions. I think this and I think that. And we can still have great fellowship. We can have great fellowship with a diversity of opinions, with a diversity even of doctrines. But dogma, yeah, is very important. But it's the same and somewhat the same in our relationships. And that is you should know what's essential and what's non-essential. And let the non-essentials go. Don't make a big deal out of them. I mean, that's what makes friendships fun is somebody has a different view than you or has a different hobby or a different like or they read something different and you get to hang out with them and get to be friends with them. And so it may not be that important. And it, so don't make it so. Don't make it such a big deal. Just let it go. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> Until I got a granddaughter that's eight years old. Yes. Man, now I got that back in my head. Oh, God. The Holy Spirit can give you wisdom, and he can give you confidence, and he can give you the great ability to let things go when they're not that important. And so let it go. So uh, why is unity so important? In John 17, this is one of those three chapters when Jesus is talking to his disciples. In John 17, 20 through 21, he says, I am praying not only for these disciples... Did you know Jesus prayed for you? Watch this. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. And listen to this. And that you love them as much as you love me. Wow. Something, we need to, that little last part that you love them as much as you love me. Some of you guys need to underline that in your Bible. You need to write it down and you need to read it every single day. That will do you a world of good to read that every day. So why? Why does the Holy Spirit desire unity? Well, look in this verse. First, you know, one thing is he wants the world to see the power of relationship. That's your feeling. He wants the world, those outside of the church, to see the power of relationship. The relationship he has with his father, he says, I have with you guys. And I want the world to see the type of relationship you guys can have together in unity because that will be a testimony to me and my father. You see how important it is? The work of unity is a very important work. Work hard at unity. We have to work hard at it sometimes. That's why these conversations are necessary. If we really want people to see that God loves them, As much as he loves his own son, then it's through the church and how they live and how they work through their crucial issues, their difficult issues, how they converse, how they get along that they will see that. That's a heavy thing. And that's one of the reasons it's so difficult for us because everything, uh, there's another force at work in this world and it's pushing against us constantly and our own brokenness is pushing against that humility to be able to walk in unity. But there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake so that the world can see how much the father loved the son. The son loves his children, his people. 
And then that that means we can see, the world can see, that the Father loves his church as much as he loves Jesus. That's a crazy, crazy thing. That's why you should be crazy in love with Jesus. That's how much love is in the Father for you. I mean, I, I, you know, 46 years now walking this out, and that I still, I don't know if I've ever moved beyond that. I think, I think having seen that all those years ago, I still have not got over that. That is still such a profound, amazing thing. That I, I, I'm like there. I just I can't get past that. That the Father loves me as He loves the Son. I mean, who does that? I mean, who does that? That's, I mean, that's an amazing God, right? And so, if that kind of love is in the church and among us, then surely there's a there's a pretty good way for us to work our differences out and to have these conversations and. And to do life together in such a way that the world can see this. The early church had a, they had a word for this. This is a few hundred years into the church. Uh, the word's perichoresis. Have you ever heard that? Perichoresis, Greek word. Uh, there's a dance. Uh, maybe, maybe if you have a Greek uh, background or something, you've seen it. But it's not just two people dancing. It's like three people dancing. And they begin to dance and they begin to twirl and move at such a rate of speed that after a while the three single parts in that dance partnership become a blur. They're still there, but it looks like one. And the early church fathers used this word perichoresis they call it kind of like the dance of the Trinity. That they're there in one and they're spinning, they're dancing together in such a way that you can see each one, but they're one. You get this? All three. Perichoresis. And that dance, the power of the Trinity, the relationship of the Trinity is meant to be expressed and lived out in the church so that we can do this dance together until we're walking together in such a way that the world sees us together as one. And, um, you know, Jesus said in John six sixty three that the, it is the Holy Spirit that gives life. It's him. If there's going to be any life in a church, it will be because of the Holy Spirit. Because he will bring it. And that dance, that power of the relationship has the power to draw people and for people to see uh, how God works. Secondly, uh, this is your last fill-in. He wants the church to experience joy. He wants us to experience joy. He does. God isn't against joy. There are lots of times in Scripture where Holy Spirit and joy are mentioned together. And uh, in this, in John 15 of these three chapters that we were talking about, Jesus talking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit coming. In John 15, 11, he says, I have told you this, talking about the Father's love, so that my joy, my joy, the joy of Jesus may be in you. And that your joy may be complete. Have you ever had complete joy? Some of you have. You have touched it. Maybe it's when your baby was born. Maybe it was something else happened in your life, and you couldn't believe the amount of joy that flooded your soul. Well, Jesus says this is the joy. That's complete joy that the Holy Spirit will bring to his people. God has joy for you, my sad friend. He does. You know, he does. You know, I believe in pouring your heart out and crying and weeping and falling on the floor. I've done it. 
hundred times. Oh God, why? You know, I've done that before and trying to understand. But you know what I like? I like the just go through the New Testament and look how many times Jesus has meals with people, and how many times you know when you finally get to see Jesus, you're going to sit around a big table. Did you know that? When Jesus brings His kingdom fully, there's going to be this great meal, better than anything in Myrtle Beach. <laughs> It's going to be great. And Jesus is going to sit down at the table and God's family are going to gather. I like the feasting and the joy better than the fasting and the sadness. Now, I know they all come and and God will walk us through all of it, but I love the feasting and the joy. We're going to do that next Sunday. But the Holy Spirit brings the joy. If you need joy, the joy is in Jesus and Jesus is willing to give it through the Holy Spirit to you. In Acts 13, 52... Uh, the situation that says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. With joy and the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 133, we get that grand description of Aaron, the priest, and how they would take a full bottle of oil, anointing oil, and they would pour it over his head as a sign of God's choice and of God's presence of his anointing on the priest. And uh, it goes on to say in uh, 133 how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. It's like the oil that flowed down upon Aaron's head, his beard, down onto his robe. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Lord that comes upon people when he is present. And uh, Galatians 5, 22 through 26 lists joy as a part of the fruit of the Spirit. If you walk with God, if you live with God, if you follow Jesus and you do it with others, then joy is going to be produced in your life. You're going to see it. Joy is a part of this. You know, in, in, in difficult conversations, sometimes it's very challenging to maintain joy, is it not? But the Holy Spirit has that for us. And the unity... Our unity in church, our unity in our families, as best as we can do it, best as we can appropriate the presence of God, comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you need joy this morning? Could you use a little joy in your relationships? You ever fallen into humdrumness? You know, every day, same old, same old, every day. Joy kind of breaks that up, doesn't it? When you have these moments of happiness, sheer joy, when you look at a friend or a family or someone you know and they smile and you realize you, you have this, to, this thing, the same thing together, there's this joy that bubbles up in our soul. That's that supernatural thing, too. I'm not talking about making yourself happy. Now, I believe in that, too. I believe you should tell yourself, you know. Rejoice, oh my soul. Be happy, oh my soul. I believe in that. But the Holy Spirit brings this like rivers of living water, the scripture tells us. It starts bubbling up inside of us. It starts filling us up. And in a church or in a relationship that has unity, there is no reason in the world you can't can't experience great joy and healing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we could use a dose of joy. We could use your presence in such a way, Lord, that indeed there is a measure of happiness. So Holy Spirit, right now, if you would come 
and reveal yourself as the joy giver right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Come. Come, Jesus. Why don't you right now, that person or persons that is at the forefront every time I have mentioned difficult conversations, every time we even talk about this, that same person kind of pops up in your mind quicker than you can control it. What if you prayed joy for them right now? What if you called their name out and just said, God, give them great joy? God, grant them the great joy. Holy Spirit, show them that you love them so, so very much. And you want them to know that the Father loves them as much as he loves his own son. Bring your joy to that person. Bring it, Lord. I may be way off here. Keep praying if you would. But I, this, uh, while we got this moment, I, the thought came to me of someone named Tony that somebody's praying for. And um, can I, can somebody help me if, if that's a, somebody? Sometimes God will drop these things in your heart. Sometimes you hit it. Sometimes you miss it. But I'm going to mention it. Is there anybody praying here for anybody? Anthony, Tony, that uh, is dear to your heart yes okay father we lift tony up to you right now we pray your great joy and we pray your presence father right now your love lord your grand love would overtake him come jesus come lord thanks for listening to the seacoast vineyard podcast We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.